that walk, that walk, that walk. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, rolling. This is Walk and Roll Live. This is Walk and Roll Live. A podcast dedicated to the disabled community, sharing stories of courage and triumph, joy and discovery, and everyday successes and challenges. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Vincent and Eric Aguilar. And away we go. Welcome to Walk and Roll Live. I am Doug Vincent, along with Eric Aguilar, coming to you from the Aguilar Professional Training Studio. Well, what do you know, buddy? What's up, guys? It's your buddy, Eric. Welcome to another Taco Tuesday. (laughs) Another Taco Tuesday. And uh, how was your week? Anything eventful come up? Well, let me tell you, this week kind of snuck up on me this time because there was a matter of the, uh, of the, uh, um, oh my gosh, I'm starting to forget the name already. Hurricane Hillary. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. then I, and then, and then thanks to a certain shipmate, I almost forgot that I have a Coast Guard auxiliary meeting tonight. And then there was our, uh, time together like we do every week. And then, uh, Friday night, me and my beloved sweetheart have a karaoke night at the, uh, Cypress Center on behalf of the Above the Limits program. It's a special needs program located in Fontana where we met. And then we have our uh, day with our biological dad. Uh, a little more on that later. And then last but not least, you and me are going to be at the uh, Illinois Empire Disabilities Expo this Saturday at the Ontario Convention Center. There's going to be a lot of great resources and a great time. It is from 10 to 3, folks. If you haven't signed up yet, go to Eventbrite. Uh, dot com. Look up the um, Illinois Empire Disabilities Collaborative episode. I mean, expo. I mean, feel free to sign up. It's free admission and free parking, and you can always sign up in person at the day of the event. And then as far as the eyes could see and ears could hear, I think they'll be providing lunch as well. And we're going to be hanging out in whose booth for a while? For the uh, San Bernardino State Council Development of Disabilities, it's a very fine organization that yours truly is involved in. They'll be located in the uh, diamond part of the session. We will be promoting the our, our beloved podcast, Rock Walk and Roll Live. If you see us, feel free to stop by and say hello. And that's going to be at the Ontario Convention Center this Saturday. Yeah. Yes, sir. From 10 awesome. to 3. So then now that's, that's kind of what's coming ahead. But last week, we had a busy week. We survived Hillary. So nothing major really where you were uneventful for you. I see it more as uh, the usual heavy rains that we get in the wintertime. Yeah. But I was kind of keeping an eye on things because, you know, although uh, yours truly and um, have survived it, um, maybe uh, I'm not going to say with ease, but we made it through in one piece to say the least, but people are going to say otherwise. Yeah. It kind of depended on which areas you were. Yeah. For me, it was just a lot of rain. You know, I've, I've seen more. You know, I, I mean, my backyard has been three inches deep at some points, but it, it never got to that point with this. But, uh, you know, I live just really under 15 minutes from Lytle Creek. And I noticed the news the next morning was showing footage of the uh, the river just filling up, you know, and all kinds of debris coming down the river. And that's 10 minutes from my house. They, they said it was almost 10 inches of rain in our area, you know, 24 hour period, like, you know, which is. You know, if you're not in California, especially Southern California in the desert where we live, that's that's generally a, a year's worth. We, you know, we get maybe 10 to 13, you know, inches in a good year. You know, it, and when we go through those drought years, it's even below that. So so it was good to see that we needed more of that. We got a pretty good 
uh, rainfall this past winter, but we'll take more. A lot of it runs off and, you know, we don't capture it, which is a whole another debate in this a, state. Yes, sir. We also got to take into account that this happened during the summertime and yeah. this could be both a good, good rain and both human rain. And from a scientific point, this may help the uh, drought crisis as we go. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope. Yeah. You know, if it was a kind of a, not a hurricane level, but yeah, if we got more rain in, in this time of the summer, wouldn't hurt. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be mad. So also we had our rolling start, a taste of independence last week. How was that? Do you enjoy that? Oh yeah. It was wonderful. The food was fantastic. It yeah. was very similar to the, uh, Loma Linda possibilities, Christmas party that we have every year, mm-hmm. but on a more uh, uh, smaller scale, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we can grow it to the possibilities level. But and it was nice to see some representatives from possibilities. We had, uh, of course, a couple of tables full of people from IEHP, which is the Inland Empire Health. Um, what does the P stand for? Health Partnership. I should know that. Uh, my- you, you hear these acronyms so long, you forget the words. Because <laughs> these then, days, um, acronyms can mean uh, can mean almost anything. Yeah, when right. it comes to uh, acronyms, you got to be as specific as possible. And one of the golden rules uh, when it comes to me teaching is that I have to, you know, use plain Eng- English if possible and really stick to common terminology. It's like I can uh, name about maybe a hundred acronyms, depending on what it is, but a lot of people may not know what it means because you know. Acronyms are like a combination state. Yep, it's a hundred yep. uh, possible combinations or more. So also uh, Molina Healthcare was there and they were a big supporter of Rolling Start. And of course, a lot of our participants and, and the staff was there. The board was there. I, I They surprised me. I had no idea, Eric, that that I got an award. They call it the DNA Award. Um, and and I'll, I'll put a picture of that up on the on the website. I was humbled and and uh you know, honored to get that award. Uh, basically, it was kind of for my tenure as a interim executive director about five years ago. So th- that's why I really wasn't expecting it because they, you know, uh, I, I had done that so many years ago. But it was it was nice to to be recognized for that. And there were some great uh, people that we recognized too. One of the participants who had who had gone through so many challenges for like three three and a half years and her living conditions. I mean, without water, without running water, heat, air conditioning, any of those kinds of things, you know, yeah, in this day and age. And finally, we were able to, because there's waiting lists and that kind of thing, but finally, we got her set up in some beautiful housing, and we recognized her perseverance through all of that and had a great outcome. And then uh, Stacy Hall was uh, recognized as the participant uh, of the year for her work in uh, having a youth uh, peer support group that she was there for through thick and thin, you know, throughout the entire uh, pandemic. She was there every week uh, or monthly. I think she had a monthly meeting. So she was there for everybody to kind of come together, which is so uh, important and was really important during the pandemic for everybody's mental health to, you know, to be able to get together. Right, Eric? What was very important to me is, um, to see uh, some friends that we haven't seen since uh, the rise of uh, COVID mm-hmm. and the food was very wonderful. I wish I could eat like that every day. But when I saw you and Stacy get recognized, what I saw was a group of heroes up there standing tall. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much. And, you know, you as well. It was nice to see, you know, because I was up on stage a lot of the night, but I kept kind of seeing you, you know, reconnecting with people 
that you were talking to that you hadn't seen forever. You know, Eddie Ramirez, we had a chance to chat with him and we'll see if we can get him on the oh, show yeah, soon. Good old Eddie. Yeah. Another basketball wheelchair, basketball player and a bunch of other people. It was, it was a nice night. Absolutely. Um, also uh, this past week, got a chance. I volunteer with a group called volunteers for veterans foundation. And, you know, obviously, you know, the, there's a lot of these ladies and gentlemen that are getting older. And, and as, uh, as we all know, you, as you get older, you kind of age into disability sometimes. And sometimes from some of their uh, service related injuries, they need some help and uh, we're able to, to help them in many different ways. And the nice thing too, is it kind of collaborate. So rolling start is able to get a scooter for one of the veterans that we help out is that volunteers for veterans foundation. So it all kind of comes together and, and we're, we're happy to do that. And also another group that I hang out with is military dog handlers and they call themselves dogs D a W G S. So we have a dog's night out every week. Uh, I'm sorry, every year, every uh, month. And so we got together this past week and it's always fun to, to hear their stories. A couple of old Vietnam vets. That's the, the general age of these guys that I hang out with. And man, they've got some, they've got some great stories. One of them has got a book uh, coming out and we'll, we'll have him on when it gets a little closer. He's finished it. And now I think he's just either looking for a publisher or maybe have to self publish it, but it's very cool. He started off uh, real quick. He started off by wanting to tell the story of this particular plane. And as he started to talk to the different service people that were involved with this plane, flying it, uh, working on it, all of those things. They were telling some incredible stories and a fellow that, uh, one of the fellows that he interviewed, you know, somehow it through their conversation, he told my friend, what you really need to do is tell these stories. So what he did is was he took all the factual type data and information and weaved it together with these stories, these human stories that these people had been through these brothers in arms. And, and it's uh sounds like it's going to be a really cool story. So we'll, we'll talk about that as that unfolds and, and becomes available. So that, that was uh, pretty much our week. So good. So next uh, we've got Eric Harris, who is the director of public policy at disability rights, California, uh, honored to have him as our guest this week. So let's take a, a quick break. Uh, learn a little bit about Aguiar Professional Training, and we'll be right back. It's time for me to get another cup of coffee, folks. We'll be right back. Aguiar Professional Training offers comprehensive organizational development and organizational effectiveness services for corporations, nonprofits, educational institutions, and individuals. What they do is improve work environments in key areas, such as performance management gaps, group interactions, morale and trust building, and team dynamics, to name just a few. Using a strength-based approach in conjunction with individual or group coaching, all of the strategies have produced significant results. APT also assists with managing change, improving work processes, training, and management of human capital. Learn more at agarprofessionaltraining.com, A-G-U-I-A-R, professionaltraining.com. And we are back. Thank you for listening to Walk and Roll Live. I'm Doug. 
He's Eric. Well, he's one of the Eric's. We have two Eric's today as we come to you live from the Aguiar Professional Training Studio for this episode of Walk and Roll Live. Uh, first of all, I want to uh, introduce Eric Harris, and he is the uh, Director of Policy, uh, Public Policy at Disability Rights California. Hello, how you doing? It's great. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. I'm looking forward to today because uh, it's kind of a double whammy um, to to give you an idea and to reiterate to our audience because um, you know I know uh, we have new listeners all the time and I just kind of want to reiterate that really the premise of the show is to have uh, people with disabilities on the show to tell their stories. You know, I think a they don't get many opportunities to just sit and tell their stories, even amongst your family and friends. You know, you probably don't sit and go to these long stories about your, your own life and which everybody doesn't get that opportunity. But I feel like if there is healing to be done, it can help the person who is uh, who has the disability to heal. And definitely, I think people hearing this story, especially people that are new because of, you know, TBIs or, or uh, uh, spinal cord injuries uh, or, or any other chronic illness, they can, they can heal, help them on their healing journey by hearing somebody that's gone through it. You know, I'm not alone. And that whole deal. But so today we and then also on the show, then we like to have other guests from organizations that uh, provide programs and services and those kinds of things for the disabled community. Well, today we've got kind of best of both worlds. We have a gentleman that can tell his story of his journey with disability. And now also he is deeply immersed into you know, those uh, those organizations that provide the programs and services. So we always like to start with kind of get a little background on our guests and where where uh, are you from is the usually the first question we ask. Absolutely. Thank you again so much. Uh, so I'm, I'm originally from Northern California. I was born in the Bay Area, grew up in Sacramento, uh, spent most of my life here in Sacramento. Uh, and besides going away for school, I went out of state for for college and, and out of state for law school, but basically spent most of my uh, time here uh, up in Northern California. Excellent. So uh, full transparency, you know, I, in so far in the show, we've been doing it for about three months now, and we're relying on on uh, bringing guests on that are our families and our contacts and organizations that Eric and I both uh, work with. And, and so kind of indirectly this is the first time we're getting somebody that's kind of outside that circle but it's also closely related because it's my brother who is also we've talked about on the show is also disabled and he met eric when he was your basketball coach through the rec department in sacramento do i have that right that's correct yeah, yeah. we uh we played wheelchair basketball uh you know for a long time together and and he was you know, a player for a while, then a coach transitioned a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then we actually played softball together um, in in Sacramento as well. So long history with your brother and, and great times on, on the court and on the field. Now, Eric has had uh, quite a bit of success. We'll want to hear that story. But I, I just want you to know, my brother takes credit for all that success, you know. <laughs> no, no surprise there. No surprise there. No, it's a, uh, it's a uh, respect, you know, completely because, um, you know, I give a, a lot of love to the folks who, um, you know, have paved in a lot of ways, paved the way for other athletes um, shown us, you know, kind of 
what we are capable of um, and really kind of opened our minds and opened the doors for for additional opportunities. You know, you, you touched on something right there. I think that's another aspect of the show that uh, we like to kind of demonstrate to, you know, those with disabilities and those that uh, are outside of that community that that may not get it. And, and the notion I think out there is that, that, you know, kind of life is over. There is no productivity or, you know, all those things that we all enjoy in life may not be available to us, but they certainly are. And I think we demonstrate that here every week. Um, then also, um, there was something I was going to say about the, the athleticism and I, and it, and it escapes me now, but um, so, Oh, I know what it was. I, I want to give a, I want to give our audience a little bit of context because you know, like generally, you know, there's a point here where we talk about uh, the disability, you know, and 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 we've talked many times on this show about how even though there may be similarities between people, everybody is very unique in their disability, and that's one of the challenges I think when an organization is or you know serving this community, and so. We have, you know, injuries that come later in life. There's chronic illnesses. There's, there are things that you're born with. So I just wanted you to kind of describe that for us. And so our audience understands what your experience is. Yeah, no, I'm glad you bring up that point, Doug, because uh, when it comes to disabilities, it all comes down to what you choose to do with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. Um, And I would say that the first thing, that I had to recognize and a whole bunch of folks um, hopefully recognize at some point is that we're all unique in our experiences. So I was born with a physical disability. um, And for my experience, I had a very, and still have uh, a very supportive family, uh, very supportive support system. Um, And so that really got me started in in a great direction. So when I was navigating as as a kid, um, having a disability, being the only person in my school with a known, you know, a recognized disability, you know, that I can recognize. Um, I I knew that I wasn't completely alone because I had loved ones, supporters, et cetera, um, throughout childhood. Um, and then I got to navigate from early in my life, walking with um, braces, leg braces, uh, to choosing to transition to a wheelchair um, and choosing to use a wheelchair for sports and eventually use a wheelchair for everyday use. Um, and that's a very unique experience. Not everybody has first that transition or the choice, you know, the ability to choose that they want to either walk or use a chair. Uh, so I know that my experience has been uh, very unique uh, and like you said, you can pick up a disability at any time. And, you know, I know we've spent some time here talking about physical disabilities, but of course people have mental health disabilities, intellectual and developmental disabilities, sensory disabilities. There's a whole community of deaf folks, blind folks. Uh, people have a variety of, of disabilities and they can pick those up at any time. You know, uh, uh, many Folks talk about disability being equal opportunity for everyone. Anybody at any point in their lives can have a disability, um, whether it's when you're first born or at any point in your life. Um, And hopefully 
you know, we've come to the point where we can accept that having a disability is not a negative, but one, but something that uh, can be viewed. Um, and for many folks is viewed um, as a sense of pride. Um, it's just a matter of making sure that um, we have the accessibility throughout the country, throughout the state, and really around the world um, that supports folks, um, no matter what their disability is. I think a big part of that is in the educational system is where it kind of starts, I think, with everybody. I know that um, my brother Drew and I had a very similar um experience but kind of for not necessarily choice but you know part of it's a choice but we both walked on crutches for years drew went to made that choice to go to a chair much earlier and 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 i later and it was a transition um because uh, you know i had polio and there's something called post polio syndrome where you lose you know some of that strength that you gained over over your life and and, and it, it's part of that decision and, and this may, you may agree with this is part of that was I felt so much more agile in the chair over time. I had lost my agility in walking because, you know, when I was young, like, like everybody, I guess, you know, you're much more agile when you're young. And it got to the point where I feel like all that agility was gone and being in the chair is where I felt agile again. Yeah. 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 No, ab- absolutely. You know, a chair for most of us is a liberating experience. Mm-hmm. It, it allows us to uh, get from point A to point B quicker, um, more efficiently, and without using so much of our energy. Uh, and that's one of the cool things about accessibility. Uh, you know, if we have the proper tools, if we're you know given wheelchairs that are light and you know mobile and um, we're given uh, other kind of access um, tools. Uh, it can make our lives um, much more liberating. And and for me and for so many others, um, I know for, for Drew, I'm sure, and for so many others, having a chair has given us the opportunity to do things that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. Yeah. Um, and it has been very liberating. Yeah. You know, the other thing you talk about being equal opportunity, uh, D- Drew and I were having this conversation yesterday and there's a couple of points was, uh, you know, you were talking about having that support system and, and I don't think I fully realized it until later in life, how valuable, not only having a strong support system, which I did in my family, but having somebody right there in my house that was, you know, like me and he was a bit older. So, you know, we both went to a, a, a school for disabled kids and you know he went on to public school in the fifth grade and then i followed a year later mm. so you know I, I he already kind of opened those doors and and kind of got the lay of the land and then when i showed up i had the you know the also the privilege of of you know having somebody that could kind of guide me a little bit and mentor me a little bit whether he knows it or not you know even even if it wasn't a, a conscious thing you know i could see what he was doing and i could i probably came along a bit quicker because of that and the other thing was i know way too many people i I, right off the top of my head i can think of three four five people who were disabled because of a car accident or something like that you know and then they go and they they get over you know they get to a point in their life where they've assimilated that in their life now they're 
they've they've got the new lifestyle. They're excess. They're they're in a wheelchair, or whatever. And then they get into another accident. Mm. I know guys that have went to be you know able-bodied to paraplegic, getting another accident, almost lose their life, and now they're quadriplegic. You know, so it 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 does not discriminate in any way, shape, or form. Oh you know? man, yeah, no, right. absolutely. And and I have a couple of you know points for that. You know, for me, I didn't have somebody with a disability within my um, immediate kind of small family, like my parents, my brother. But um, when I was connected with adaptive sports, it opened up a whole new world for me. It was, oh, now I see other young people with disabilities that are just like me. Um, I saw other black kids um, from communities that I go to all the time and, and have family in and other, you know, folks who have similar um, life experiences um, with disabilities. We're traveling all over the country. We all have disabilities. So it kind of built a network. And, and honestly, it started the disability movement for myself. It started my own disability identity, disability pride. Um, and then it expanded beyond physical disabilities to folks with mental health disabilities and other forms of disability. And when you mentioned having multiple accidents and kind of that kind of also dovetails into, you know, folks who have um, trauma and live with trauma on a, on a regular basis, folks who've been in accidents and multiple accidents or other incidents probably have some form of mental health, you know, disability that they're, that they're dealing with, whether it's yeah. depression or anxiety or others. Um, and so I'm really, it's one of those things that we're all on the same team trying to get, you know, the same goal. We all want inclusion, accessibility, a sense of pride, um, and to be treated, uh, you know, in a way that is respectful um, and and given as many opportunities as possible. Yeah, that, that's something you, you realize at a very early age, you know, and even before I think you could fully articulate it, you know, it's just, you just want to be treated like everyone else. I think that's the kind of the way I would have said it when I was a kid, you know, I don't want any special treatment. I just want, I just want to have friends like everything. I want the same things. I want, you know, to hang out with my friends, you know, back in those days, it was as simple as that, you know, then as you grow older, I want to have relationships. I want to have, you know, romantic relationships. I want to educate myself. I want to work and be self-sufficient. All those things that everybody kind of looks forward through as they go through their life. So, so, so back to, um, your, your athletic career. So mm-hmm. that, that, did you get scholarships? So did it serve you in that way? So I had, I've had a, an amazing journey with sports. Um, you know, I started out playing able-bodied sports as a kid. Um, Cause I, I, like you said, I wanted to be with my friends and mm-hmm. all my friends were playing able-bodied sports. I wanted to play baseball, basketball. I wanted to play tennis. I wanted to play with everyone, all my friends. Uh, I found my, it was interesting. I, I didn't make my high school golf team and my dad found adaptive sports out of Berkeley, California with Bay area outreach recreation program. Um, and it was the best thing that could have happened. I got on a team that was instantly one of the top teams in the country. Um, we ended up winning a national championship in my second year on the team it was fantastic just a wonderful experience got to travel a bunch and i got recruited um 
to play in college. And um, I did get a scholarship to play at the University of Arizona, um, played wheelchair basketball there uh, for five years and graduated, got my degree and just had a, a wonderful experience there um, and got to uh, travel, continue to travel. I mean, we talked, you know, before we got on about traveling and just world experiences, national experiences, and it just adds to the life experience, being right. able to meet folks, kind of uh, experience different cultures, experience different communities. And so wheelchair basketball for me did did a lot of that. And I continued to play. I still play every now and then, not as much as I once did, but uh, but I got to meet a whole group of amazing um, uh, athletes and amazing leaders um, by getting involved in that sport and then wheelchair softball and and on and on. It's been great. Yeah. So then at some point, was there the transition to what you do now? At what point did you did you kind of know that that's what you wanted to do? So it's interesting. When I was a kid, um, I, you know, my parents, uh, my dad is a lawyer and a professor. And my mom is a teacher and a professor. Um, so as a kid growing up, kind of social justice, civil rights, policy, law, education, those were constant in our house and being discussed at dinner tables, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so early on, I, I had a goal of going to law school uh, being a lawyer. And and that was kind of always a goal. So even in high school, even in college, even when I was playing wheelchair basketball, I knew I want to go to a school that will give me a good opportunity to go to graduate school. I want to go to uh, I want to take school seriously. Um, and while I was in school, while I was in high school and college, it was working for campaigns, working for elected officials, volunteering for elected officials. Um, interning in different parts of the state and eventually different parts of the country um, and just continuing to meet people who are in the disability advocacy space, who are in the civil rights and social justice space, uh, worked at the NAACP for a period. Um, and so that really kind of continued almost simultaneously while I was playing sports. Um, and so eventually uh you know, I've focused on being in Sacramento. I, I'm from Sacramento. I wanted to be here. Um, Sacramento, of course, is the capital of, of the state. So it gives me a really cool opportunity to remain at home, but also do statewide advocacy and even some national advocacy. Um, and I got I ended up getting opportunities after the NAACP with Disability Rights California, um, which is a, an amazing organization. It's a statewide organization, nonprofit that advocates on behalf of people with disabilities. And it's a protection and advocacy organization. Um, we have over 300 staff. We have over 100 attorneys. Um, and our focus, of course, is um, advocating on behalf of all people with disabilities in the state. Um, and so being involved in policy, I get to do it kind of from the inside, if you will, with conversations with elected officials, staff, um, and other leaders uh, to make sure that the disability community is being represented properly um, and being advocated for. Um, and it's not only me, there's so many um, incredible advocates throughout the state and throughout the country who are doing incredible work 
um, making sure that all people with disabilities have the rights that we should. You know, you, uh, you're taking my job away here, uh, Eric. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking these are questions I want to ask and you're kind of a- answering them all before I get a chance to ask. Cause that's, that's what I was curious. And I know you've been in the role that you're at now about a year and a half or so. So, so, so it's funny. I've actually now been in this role a little over two years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's right. 2021, right. In February, 2021. Yes. So, so uh, maybe describe a little bit exactly what the director of public policy does. What's your role in amongst those 300 people that are your colleagues? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh, so basically what, my role is I work with a team of uh, legislative advocates, policy advocates, um, and a team of administrative folks who are incredible leaders. And what we do is we work with elected officials and other leaders throughout the state um, at all levels. So federal yeah. government, you know, U- United States Senate, United States Congress, state legislature, um, mayors, city council, county board of supervisors. And what we what we do is we talk about and come up with big issues that we're we're seeing and folks are coming to us on a regular basis. Um, so if folks are coming to us with issues in uh, in education, for instance, that impact students who have intellectual or developmental disabilities or people who are, who have mental health disabilities, who live on, who are unhoused. Um, We get all of these different thoughts and ideas. um, And what we try to do is relay that information and come up with strategies to help those communities with our elected officials, telling them this is the information that we're getting from the community. And based on our experience as lawyers or policy folks, this, these are some ideas that we have to make these scenarios better. Uh, I made it that made it sound really, really easy and straightforward. And as you can imagine, uh, it's not uh, always that easy. It makes uh, it can be very complicated, especially with the politics of the state and of the country. You never know how some of that can play out. Well, I volunteer for a couple of different organizations. One is uh, called Rolling Start. It's an independent living center. You know, and so, yeah, there's uh, many of the different core services that that we have to address as housing and employment and assistive technology and advocacy and all those things. And like you say, very complex. And then, you know, the other organization is an organization that serves the intellectually and and, uh, and, and developmentally disabled community. And yeah, I mean, when you were saying all that, I realized how complex that was. And then to deal with it in all those different levels and you didn't even touch on, you know, the funding, all of that, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's Herculean. So, um, and then now the new, uh, it's not really so new anymore. I probably, I've heard of it for the last at least four to five years as the person centered thinking, you know, so it's, you know, all of those things that we're talking about, you know, in, in assisting the disabled community, you want to put a lot of those decisions in their hands, our hands, because, you know, you don't know what it's like being out there as a disabled person. People just in kind of intrinsically, I think, want to want to make decisions for you. You know, it's just a basic human, you know, feature, you know, they want to help, you know, but by helping, they, they are somehow 
sometimes taking your autonomy, you know? That's absolutely correct. And I would say um, one of the first kind of policy experiences I had in that space was uh, working with uh, leaders of the intellectual and developmental disability community. Um, There were times where there would be meetings discussing issues that impact folks with IDD, the regional center system in the state. And I would be in those meetings with another 15 people. Not one of them had an intellectual development disability. <laughs> and I was, there, and I was sitting there it. like, how, how, <laughs> this isn't, this can't be how it's supposed to go. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. we wouldn't want that in a situation where we're coming up with policies that are going to directly impact any other community, but we almost accept it when it comes to disability as to say, well, they aren't able to make decisions for themselves. So let me make the decision for them. And as you said, a lot of times it's with the intention of helping and it's with kind of good um, overall goals. But I think that what the disability community has, has been strong about for a long time now is nothing about us without us. Um, And really it's uh, nothing without us because everything um, involves some level of impact on the disability community. And so it's important that it is person-centered, that people with disabilities are in the room when decisions are being made. Um, So that's something that we really prioritize at Disability Rights California. And and fortunately, many organizations, many disability organizations feel the same way. I know yeah. independent living centers, that's the mandated. Right? <laughs> that's, that is the mandated model for independent living centers throughout the state um, and really throughout the country. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how does, um, you know, people listening to this, if they're a part of an organization or just an individual and what kind of situations come up that they would need DRC? That's a great question. So Disability Rights California generally um, does systems change legal work. We're a legal services organization, free legal services. Um, And so what we try to focus on uh, are ways that we can impact the most people um, as possible. So not as often is it individual representation, but it's this... um, school district, for instance, is violating people with, you know, folks with disabilities rights, or um, this regional center as a whole is violating folks with disabilities rights. Um, So I would say that, um, especially if there are large groups of folks who have the same types of concerns, you're in a, for instance, you're in a a group with other parents who um, have children with disabilities who are in schools and say, we're all experiencing the same thing. I'm sure other folks in the state are, are having these same problems. Maybe we should go to Disability Rights California and come up and, you know, talk to them about these scenarios. That's one example, the kind of big system um, yeah. issues. Um, we also do a lot of know your rights, kind of sharing information. There are a lot of folks who just don't know what rights disabled folks have in California. Um and that includes, you know, people um, who have family members with disabilities. Maybe they themselves have disabilities. People who speak other languages who might say it's a little confusing when I try to talk to other folks, but I can go to DRC. DRC has 
a lot of folks who speak a variety of different languages. Um, and then, of course, as an individual, if you have an experience where as an individual you say, I don't think this is right. I need to talk to somebody who's an expert. I need to talk to a lawyer about you know my experience uh, and figure out if there's a potential solution. Uh, you know, our, our team does intake um, our team being, you know, all of DRC, we have an intake team um, that takes uh, calls and, and listens to folks who have concerns and issues. Uh, so it's a lot. And, you know, I mentioned we have over 300 staff and over 100 lawyers. There are 40 million people in California. So so there's always going to be, you know, more uh, kind of more going on and more people with issues than, you know, we have bandwidth for, but we try to be in as many places as we can. And we try to lift up the concerns that we hear from, from the community. So even on that micro level, if somebody is having trouble getting an accommodation at work that they feel is reasonable and they're kind of hitting a lot of pushback on something that they feel like is definitely doable. DRC is somewhere where they can turn to and get some advice. Absolutely. And at least, you know, I think DRC takes pride in um, the warm handoff and kind of pointing folks in the right direction. A lot of people, whether they have disabilities or not, aren't sure how the legal system works, aren't sure, um, you know, do, can I get free legal advice? You know, all these different questions that folks have. And DRC is often a great place um, for those types of resources as well. And maybe it's as simple as, DRC connecting folks with others who might have similar experiences or connecting folks with independent living centers that take in calls and work on issues from a local level as well. Yeah. That's one thing that uh, the independent living centers, I think is their strength, you know, throughout the state and and the country is we're a, a wealth of resources and information. You know, we don't have necessarily all the answers or the programs or even services, but, but we have access and we know where you can get the help in so many different ways. Yeah. Eric, is there anything that you wanted to ask Eric? I do have maybe a question or two. Uh, what is the the greatest uh, moment or thing you've ever done on behalf of uh, California disability rights? Oh man, that's a really good question. And I'd say, you know, one kind of generally, I just love connecting with disabled folks um, in California. So when we're able to do cool events, we did a really amazing event earlier this year, um, a gala with a bunch of folks in the community, a bunch of people with disabilities got to dress nice. And we actually had that gala in Sacramento. Um, It was at the Crocker Art Museum and it was just a wonderful time. And, and, I was fortunate that I got to be a part of it. I got to speak. I got to help with some of the um, some of the coordination. That was that was a really cool experience um, for me. Uh, as far as a policy accomplishment, uh, we as a as a team were able to uh, have a bill get signed that would. Uh, phase out the use of subminimum wage in California. So subminimum, people with disabilities uh, through a long history in, in the country 
um, have been able to be paid below minimum wage for a variety of reasons, but mainly um, the justification had been a person with a disability, especially people with intellectual or developmental disabilities, aren't able to produce at the same level as somebody without a disability. And the reason for that back in the day was we're doing a uh, we're trying to do you know production and have it based on production. We're going through the depression. This bill or this law back in the day came out right after you know the the Great Depression. So at the time, for many, it made sense. Um, but people were being taken advantage of, um, and there were many other states that started to pass similar laws to get rid of some minimum wage. And we were able to uh, work with a big coalition, including the State Council on Developmental Disabilities um, and others, to have a bill that would phase out the use of subminimum wage. So uh, we weren't the first state to do it. There were other states that that accomplished that same goal. But that was a really cool moment for Disability Rights California um, over the last several years. Um, we're really proud about that. And hopefully it sends the message that um, people with disabilities can do anything. They can work. They can live wherever you know they choose to live. Um, and they should be treated um, the same way as everyone else. Can I? Uh, I wanted to ask you specifically about this, and and um, I'm glad you brought it up because you know the organization that I volunteer for, we did have sublingual uh, workshop or a sub minimum wage workshop, and what came out of that is because this started what four or five years ago, and I think they all have to be eliminated what by January 25. Yeah. So, right. the, or they don't fund them anymore. Is that how? So there's a there's a phase out period. Yeah. Um, that that starts, I believe, next year. Um, and it'll it'll we're trying we tried to and worked with um regional uh, sorry not regional centers worked with workshops uh to make sure that uh there was a phase out period so that people weren't kind of having to go from this. Uh, kind of this side of the issue all the way to the other right. without um, the grace of uh, having a phase out. So um, that's the overall goal. So to, to to our credit, we started very early. I mean, we mm -hmm. probably phased ours out. It's been like three years ago now. Mm -hmm. And so we had a number of different programs, uh, adult programs and um, day programs. And so and you know, with that population change, I mean, nobody likes change, but they are very adverse to change. They love their routine. Right. So, so it was very traumatic for them when, when we yeah. made the announcement, not only for the individuals, but their families. And so what we hear a lot from their parents and still to this day, there are some parents that bring this up and I'm sure you're fully aware of this, but you know, there's so many other aspects to it where, you know, they weren't isolated. They, you know, they had socialization. I mean, we had some people that were in our workshop for 25 years, yeah. you know, and that's, that's where they saw their friends. And, you know, it was yeah. more about that than it really was the work. So we have even parents now saying, you know, that's a, that was a loss, you know, and, and when you say sub minimum wage, I think people have to understand it wasn't if the minimum wage is 15 and they were getting 10, they were getting like a dollar 50 an hour. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's egregious. Right, uh, right. So exactly. yeah, definitely it was time. But so, um, and then a week or so ago, I had an opportunity to talk with 
the chief deputy director of DOR and kind of asking the same things. And, and he said, there are, there are some programs, you know, that they're talking about. So I just wanted to see what your thoughts were on that. Cause I know you're very fluent in this whole topic. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we heard, um, and, it, and it's not just a California kind of issue or argument. There were people throughout the country and still are people throughout the country who will make a variety of different arguments um, that these, even though it was subminimum wage, there were other aspects that were positive for a lot of folks. Yeah. And um, what we did, and I brought this up earlier about kind of person-centered um, and making sure that we're talking to folks who have the lived experience that we're, we're thinking about and that we're working with, people who have these types of disabilities who were in these workshops told us and worked with us and said, I don't want to be treated differently than everyone else. I want to be treated fairly. If I'm doing the work, if I have the supports that I need and I can do the work, um, I should be getting uh, at least the same amount as, as everyone else. And that was something, and that has continued to be um, who we fight for. Um, and, while we understand, you know, parents and family members, loved ones are always going to be worried that um, that the person that they care about, that a person with a disability is going to be uh, left out. You know, that's something that nobody wants to experience. Um, and while we, you know, certainly understand and, and have listened to many of those types of arguments, the balance for us um, and for many organizations throughout the country has been, we want to, we want, we don't want people to be left out either. We want people to be included yeah. um, and, and be in uh, a, an inclusive environment, but we also want it to be competitive. We want it to be a space where they're able to make um, the same amount of money as their colleague, their friend, um, other folks who, who work. And what we found and I think this has been one of the most important pieces is that when we look beyond traditional productivity and we, we look at uh, the camaraderie, um, the spirit that people work with, the diligence that people are working with, um, there's a whole lot more that folks can bring to a workplace beyond traditional productivity. And so that was another big thing for us that we wanted to make sure that we reiterated that people with disabilities, people who have long experiences working in a variety of places, they bring a whole different energy and a positivity to the workplace that can't really be quantified by productivity traditionally. Yeah. You know, and we replaced that program with other programs to help them find employment. We, and, and back with that, that person centered thinking, you know, we expose them, we ask them what they are interested in. And then we also, kind of expose them to a myriad of things. And sometimes, you know, we find something that somebody loves to do that they hadn't even considered, you know, then once we kind of identify that, then we set about trying to find a job within that, that job. So yeah, we've, we've uh, kind of replaced it with something else in, in a employment, employment strain, you know, to help them make that transition now. And we had, like I say, we had a number of other uh, uh, programs and they were given the choice you know, do you want to go to this program or that program? 
some people chose to just retire. They, you know, they were pushing, you know, their sixties and they just said, you know, I'm done, you know, so good. I'm glad they're enjoying that, uh, that part of their life now. Um, and Eric, sorry, I I jumped back in here, but any other questions (laughs) yet? I do have one other question. Uh, what are, um, some of the issues that, um, California disability rights is working. I'm um, going towards the horizon. That's a really good question. And I would say one of our top issues right now, and anybody who lives in California, I think can, uh, can appreciate this uh, is our unhoused circumstance right now. Um, homelessness is a major problem in California. Um, and a lot of people who are unhoused, um, are not getting the services that they need, mental health services, other services, housing. Um, So that's something we're spending a lot of time and energy on. And it's been the last several years. I think um, we've we've recognized that there's a housing crisis in California. There's been one. Um, There have been a lot of elected officials who've come up with a lot of big ideas, um, a lot of elected officials who've put who've uh, dedicated energy and resources. I mean, the state has dedicated billions of dollars to try to solve this as a problem. Um, And something that we're really trying to take seriously is making sure that disabled people aren't left out of that conversation. Um, Again, it's another scenario. You have people without disabilities talking about folks who have disabilities, people saying, well, there's a whole bunch of, people with schizophrenia who live on the street, or there's a whole bunch of people with bipolar disorder who live on the street. How about we talk to somebody who has schizophrenia or somebody who who has bipolar disorder to talk to them about what their experience is like on a regular basis, what they need, what would best serve them. Um, And so it's a really big issue and it's bigger than just Disability Rights California. We've been involved um, and it's probably our top priority right now. but we're working with so many incredible leaders and organizations, disability organizations. There's peer-run mental health, peer-run organizations. There are homelessness organizations um, throughout the state that we've worked with um, and that we're learning from. And then a whole bunch of racial justice organizations as well that are saying this is beyond. I mean, this is a mental health or you know, mental health issue, a disability issue. A racial justice issue, a civil rights issue. So we're really trying to work with um, all that we can to come up with some solutions that are best for uh, people with disabilities. So I'd say that that's probably our biggest issue that we're working on right now that's coming, you know, in the horizon, but also currently. Um, And then just kind of generally education, employment, employment, and civil rights generally, you know, uh, dealing with law enforcement, making sure that people with disabilities have the rights that, you know, that they deserve. Um, so there's really a variety of, of, of major issues. But that mental health piece is it, and unhoused piece is the one that we've spent a, a lot of our time and energy on over the last several years. And and I could see it happening. You know, we're going to be working on that for the next several years as well, at least. Without getting too political, that, uh, the housing uh, crisis and the uh, mental health and the uh, 
justice side of things as a three-headed monster. But I know in the near future, we're going to tackle it one step at a time. Absolutely. You know, I was just going to ask, uh, are we, I know we many times, you know, you hear them talking about it's a housing issue, but if we, if we address it from the housing standpoint too much, do we not address the mental health part of it and may never get solved if we don't address that part of it? And we you can know, have all the housing out there available, yeah. but if they're not, you know, healthy enough to, to, you know, to come indoors and. It's definitely both. You know, yeah. I think both are really, really important. There were, there's a recent report, I think out of UCSF um, and uh, that essentially said uh, the housing crisis, the number one issue in our housing crisis is uh, how expensive it is. And most people might've assumed, Oh, is, you know, are people unhoused because they have a mental health disability or is it because they choose not to, you know, take housing? But there've been a number of, of really powerful reports that have come out that have stated that, you know, the number one reason that people struggle with homelessness or, or housing insecurity is because housing is so dang expensive. And that, you know, if you're talking to somebody who's renting, if you're talking to somebody looking to purchase anywhere in the state, it used to just be if you were looking for a house um, or a place to live in San Francisco or Los Angeles. But now it's anywhere you go in the state, housing is so expensive and it really prices so many people out. Um, and so if you think about it, somebody who maybe they had employment and were living paycheck to paycheck, all of a sudden their employment, you know, goes away, that paycheck to paycheck turns into now I, I don't have any paycheck and I can't afford the 2000 or $2,500 rent a month. So now I have to figure out what am I going to do? And what we found is that a lot of people have had that type of experience where it was essentially all good for a long time. Um, one thing changes and all of a sudden people are scrambling um, and not able to afford um, the expensive housing. I will say though, that it goes, it, it goes together with other services. People need to have mental health services. People need to have uh, ability, the access and ability to have uh, jobs that pay well um, and, and pay, uh, you know, an affordable um, wage. People should have access to mental health services and other services um, healthcare, like all of these things come together uh, when we're talking about making sure that we're serving the whole person. So it's all, it's all a really important um, piece to think about. And, and we're happy to be a part of that, that discussion. I look at it as a matter of, a, of an adapting and adjusting really. No, absolutely. It's a, uh, it's one of those things where we've, recognize that this has been an issue probably for the last 10 years plus. Um, and it doesn't matter which city you're in. If you're in Oakland, San Francisco, Sacramento, San uh, Bernardino, San, Bernardino <laughs> yep. uh -huh. San Diego. I mean, it, it doesn't matter which city you're in. Uh, this has been a major issue and one that uh, is important that we have advocates um really involved and engaged um, because we have to do this right. Um, what we don't want to have happen 
is for people to be um, institutionalized once again. Um, you know, we went through that back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, saw how bad that was for a lot of people. Um, and, and we don't want to go down that path. We, we hopefully over the last 50 years, we've learned better ways to treat people, better ways and better solutions uh, for these issues. Well, I think we've uh, covered a lot of ground and uh, I'm going to give you the final word as we wrap up here. Well, I, I want to thank you, you know, for having me once again. And, and I'll just say, uh, you know, something that is really important to recognize for all of us uh, and the numbers aren't always going to be exact, but at least a quarter of the population has some form of disability, whether it's diagnosed or not. Um, and accessibility should be a high enough priority for all of us, especially when we recognize how large the disability community is now and is going to continue to be as we live longer, um, et cetera. So making sure that we have fully accessible options um, for housing, employment, education, um, other mental health, other services is going to be really crucial as we move forward. And so, um, you know, my goal is that we have more disability advocates, that we have more disability champions, and that we're able to address a lot of the concerns that the disability community has had for such a long time. And no better place to do it than the birthplace of the disability movement in California. The first independent living center was in Berkeley. And there are so many cool opportunities for California to be a leader on. Um, and I hope that we can be a part of that movement in the right direction. And I would add two things. I, I would say 100% of people are going to age into disability, right? Some form of disability. And the other thing is, is, is making things accessible does not mean that they're going to be inaccessible for the able-bodied, right? And, and quite, and quite actually, and as you said, it's it's essentially, it makes it accessible for everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to have a ramp, being able to have an elevator, being able to have more accessible um, spaces for folks and, you know, in more inclusive settings uh, makes it better for everyone. And as you said, we're all going to age into disability, <laughs> knock on wood if yeah. we're lucky, yeah. whether it's hard of hearing, whether it's um, folks who have vision loss, um, you know, a whole bunch of different issues that folks deal with. And it's important that we take all that into consideration as we yeah. build and advance moving forward. Uh, even my uh, my young friends at 50 or 60, you know, they'll they'll say, I'm not disabled. I say, I say, give me a somersault. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Just give it time and, and we all have the experience. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, thank you very much. Eric Harris, the uh, director of thank public you. policy at uh, at uh, Disability Rights California. Thank you for spending some time with us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Rob Zulo. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. 
brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. Seeking walk that walk, walk, walk that walk, walk. Hello, folks. I'm your pal Eric Eagle with my partner Doug. Welcome back to Walk and Roll Live. Happy Tuesday to you, or whenever you're listening to this. I already talked about the IEDC, which is Inland Empire Disability Collaborative Expo, which is coming up this weekend. Uh, but uh, let me take the opportunity, if there's an organization that you uh, utilize their services or programs or you volunteer for or anything anywhere in this great nation or great world that we live in, please let us know if you've got events that you want us to talk about or if you would like to come on as representative of that organization and tell us about the good work that you do, we definitely want to have you on as a guest. We, you know, we're enjoying hearing the stories of our friends and colleagues, but uh, we definitely want to open it up to other people outside of our circle and, and give you the opportunity to share the great stories that we know are out there. Also, if you're looking for resources uh, pertaining to your disability for yourself or a loved one, we have a resources page on our website at walkandrolllive.com. And we're growing that all the time. Again, same thing. If you have uh, an organization that you deal with in your own community and you think they do some great work, we'll certainly share it on a resources page so you can help people in your community too. Um, and if you don't find something that you're looking for, let us know and we'll try to track it down and get it on, on the, uh, on the website. All right. Anything else, Eric? What have I forgotten? Anything? Me? Oh, no, no. You covered the whole slide. I was going to say, I always enjoy a story. Good, bad, nitty gritty, or the ugly. It doesn't matter. A story is a story. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Yeah. The human condition, right? So speaking of which next week, we have a friend of mine who went through an amputation and I've known him for, I don't know, closing in on 40 years, we did radio together. So we'll talk a little bit about that, but I had lunch with him a couple of weeks ago and I had never heard the full story of his amputation. Wow. Wow. It was uh, surprising and shocking and uh, wait till you hear it. So that's coming up next week right here on walk and roll live. All right. You want to count us out? Thank you so much for listening, folks. I'm Eric Giglow with my buddy, Doug, and that's the way the cooking crumbles. We will see you next time, and we will see you hopefully at the uh, Disabilities Expo at the Ontario Convention this coming Saturday. If you see us, feel free to stop by and say hello. Ciao. Peace. Walk and Roll Live is heard around the world at walkandrolllive.com, Podbean, and Spotify. Like us at facebook.com slash walkandrolllive. You can email us at warlive at walkandrolllive.com with comments, observations, or whatever's on your mind. Whatever's on your mind. Have a topic you'd like to hear or a guest you think would be great for the show? Let us know. Look for new episodes every Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for listening.